0: I'm f- I'm just trying the uh, sponge pop filter on my uh, microphone this time because you know it's been a while. Why not Why not change up the routine?
1: Try it, yeah. <laughs> so people, 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 party people,
0: party people, porpoise.
1: When when you, when you <laughs> said the sponge pop filter, for some reason the first thing that came to mind was the band Sponge. S p u n g
0: e. I thought you were going to say SpongeBob because it sounds a bit like pop, Sponge Pop filter
1: oh yeah yeah I suppose it does but I don't have enough children to think about Spongebob in my life we'll start with this
0: let me uh, see if you can tell what this sound is are you ready
1: okay yeah that are uh, that sounds like you're clicking a ballpoint pen multiple times in succession
0: that is correct and uh, this is <laughs> this is uh, not just any ballpoint pen. Uh, this is the um, I wouldn't call it the Rolls Royce of ballpoint pens. I guess you maybe you'd call it the Ford Model T. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good example, is it? Um, Very old. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not a good example. What would what would be the good example for this? I suppose it's the. Well, uh, no. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll just get to the point. Um, so. I uh, as we've discussed before when we talked about fountain pens mm-hmm. my writing implement of choice has always been the ballpoint mm. and actually not only writing actually to be totally accurate less writing and more drawing mm. I don't usually like to write that much with ballpoints and I prefer you know gel ink kind of pens mm-hmm. just because they're smoother and you know lighter and much uh, right, uh, right. easier to move quickly
1: They give her a very reliable line
0: as well exactly um, yeah. whereas when it comes to drawing, I find it mm. actually quite, I'm never very good with a pencil. Mm-hmm. I just kind of find them cumbersome and, 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 you know, if you lean on it with your hand, then it gets all smudged and then you've got to get the mm. eraser out. And then once you do the eraser, you have like this beautiful clean streak of white across mm. this page of gray. And then, you know, and, um, so, uh, I've never been a big fan of felt tips because I sort of I hate it when felt tips start running out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like a sort of a, an OCD frustrating feeling when your felt tip is kind of working. <laughs> do you
1: know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, I sort of do. I mean, I haven't actually used felt tips since I was a child. Okay. But whiteboard markers have a similar sort of property.
0: They do, they do. Um, whereas the ballpoint uh, is the, the the drawing implement that I have used for the longest because the you know the most drawing... I've, I've always done this, has been with ballpoints because they're always around the house mm. when, you know, when you're in high school or in university or, or whenever, you know, you're always doodling in your notebooks in a ballpoint, mm. at least in our generation. Uh, and so the ballpoint is the most familiar to me. And as a drawing uh, instrument, it's incredibly versatile because it can actually be used kind of like a pencil mm. in that you can. you can have
1: different sort of strengths. Exactly. Of-
0: Yeah, exactly. So unlike rollerballs or or any other, actually, you know, almost any other ink drawing Mm -hmm. implement, you can actually have very, very faint lines and you can have very, very strong lines. Right. uh, Which means with the faint lines, you can kind of brush to get an effect very similar to sort of shading with a pencil. Mm. And um, that's why I love ballpoints. So for the longest time, and you might remember that when we were together in Japan, I swore Mm -hmm. by uh, the Lamy brand. Lamy? Lamy? Yeah, I think it's Lamy. but uh, Lamy? Ge- Germans can correct us. I La- think it's Lamy. Lamy? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Blame you. Yeah. No. They um, <laughs> Lamy pens are, um, they're kind of, along with, let's see, I think Cross and Parker and Lamy and there are a few others in the sort of deluxe mm-hmm. ballpoint market. Mm. There are not very many deluxe ballpoints because generally ballpoint is a more of a kind of a utilitarian you know, more of a um, a sort of a workhorse kind of writing implement and not something that you would consider as being sort of deluxe. Right. But Lamy make very, very good ballpoints uh, and their their ink cartridges are excellent. Uh, And so I've owned like, what, six Lamy's before The issue with Lamy pens that I've found is that the construction of the cases Mm -hmm. tends to be not very reliable over the long term.
1: Which Lamy, do you know which Lamy is the one, just to try and get a picture of it in my mind, like is it the... It's a plastic case, right?
0: Sure. So I'm thinking specifically of
1: the Ballpoint Safari model. Oh, okay. So the Safari, the, the, similar to the Fountain Pen Safari model, but yeah, the Ballpoint version.
0: Exactly. And it's the classic. classic. They look fantastic. And it's the classic design. Mm. You've got that sort of distinctive, iconic, Lemmy Safari sort of uh, bent wire clip at the top, mm. where it's basically it's this long U-shape wire that's bent around. Right. And the Ballpoint version... Unlike the the fountain pen version, which of course has the removable cap with that clip on it, mm-hmm. the the ballpoint version has um, like a, a press. Uh, what do you call it? Like a, a, a clicker at the top, right? That right. yeah, that has it's actually covered by a
1: sort of a rubber flange on the top. Oh yeah, I can see it. Now. I'm looking at a picture of it now. I'll put yeah. a link in the show notes. But yeah, it's like a sort of spring type. Yeah. So I've owned like
0: three of these and I've owned a few of uh, other Lamy models as well. But what always happens is they, ironically, the cartridges are some of the longest lasting cartridges in the ballpoint industry. Mm. But the cases are very, very prone to mechanical failure in some way or other. Mm. And in the case of the Safari model, that top rubber flange eventually either deteriorates Mm -hmm. or it just kind of breaks off. Oh, I see. And, you know, uh, I mean, most people probably wouldn't care, but uh, I
1: care. (laughs) (laughs) That's a shame, because I was going to say, like, is there an equivalent of the All-Star, which is made of aluminium rather than plastic? Mm. In fact, I'm looking now and it it looks like there is. But obviously that that rubber bit at the top is not aluminium so yeah. if it's that bit that breaks that's going to be the same on the all-star as well
0: yeah and i've tried numerous uh Lamy models over the years uh, for the mm. ballpoints and also for for roller balls for and mm. every one of them has broken down in the end mm-hmm. and um so this time i thought for for the la- the past one year or so that i've been here in sweden mm-hmm. i suddenly realized something something is missing from my life I'm not quite sure what it is because mm. I'd, I'd stopped using Lamy pens and I'd started using um, rollerball pens just for writing notes for work. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I don't really draw very much anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, the reason for that is because I don't have a ballpoint that I like. <laughs> right. So, okay. so yeah, I decided to to do something about it and I bought this one. Now, this, this actual sound mm-hmm. is...
1: Kind it does sound quite familiar. It does. I know, I know clickers are, you know, right. probably all sound more or less the same. But there's something about the timbre of that sounds like a pen I've heard before. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. And so this is this is the Parker Jotter. Ah, okay. And the the Jota is if you if you pull up a picture of it, you'll look you'll see. Oh yeah, that was my grandmother's pen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was my mother's pen. Yeah. we always had one of these uh, lying around. Usually in the I think the green and silver is one of them. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So- this is a this is a
0: classic. Classic ballpoint pen. Yeah, so this is what I meant by not really the Model T. That's not a good example. I don't. I can't really mm-hmm.
1: think of maybe a I don't know like a Honda Civic. Oh, I found the exact one. <laughs> this is the exact one that 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 we always had around the house. That exact shade of green. Let's have a look. Just having a look here. Oh yeah, all oh,
0: nice. Yeah, it's classic. It's nice. kind of like an Art Deco kind of uh, <laughs> like a, a baby blue kind of color. Yeah. Oh, they call it grey green. Yeah. Anyway, green, yeah. so I was very nervous about getting a Parker because I'd never tried Parker ballpoint refills, so I didn't know if they were better or worse than than Lamy, mm-hmm. um, and how they felt to draw with. Um. The main thing that I was concerned about, of course, as you can see just from looking at it, is the grip mm. because it sort of tapers down. So I, I bought the right. I bought the the um, uh, all stainless steel version. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so it really is the sort of the Rolls Royce of that we can actually get them in <laughs> in gold. But you know, um, I bought right. The, right, right, right. the all stainless steel version, yeah. um, and so it's it's quite smooth on the end, and there's mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping your fingers from sort of slipping downwards. Right.
1: Unlike the the Lamy Safari, which has not only does it have a separate bit that you hold, but that separate bit is shaped mm. into a sort of almost like a triangle it's got two places one for your thumb and one for your index finger and then it's curved underneath for your hand to curve around yeah that's right uh, so it's very specifically designed to be held in a certain way yeah the parker pens are, on the other hand are, are much more purely cylindrical yeah exactly
0: and um the the lemmy safari that grip is exceptionally comfortable mm-hmm. um it really gives you a good feel uh, of the pen and allows you to control it well and your, your fingers are sort of locked in that position mm. so yeah it is exceptionally comfortable and and it's quite thick as well which sort of helps mm-hmm. whereas the the Jotter is is very very thin mm-hmm. but i thought you know if lamy is if i'm worried about lamy's reliability and then i know i've always wanted to try a jotter because you know as you said it is the classic ballpoint pen actually it was uh, i think um, nixon's no not nixon um, who was it uh, kennedy mm. kennedy's sort of pen of choice was the parker jotter <laughs> So,
1: um, so it's been. It is, it is the the absolute sort of. I think of it as the the absolute classic, right? Decent ballpoint pen. Yeah. Bic is the classic sort of cheap disposable one, and, and Bic is also an amazing. The, the Bic is really interesting. The 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 way that it's manufactured and the way that it sort of took over the, as the the easy to pick up and, and have millions of sort of disposable ballpoint
0: pen. Especially the the, f- the, the four color version, right, with the ball on the top. Right, the classic big, the blue with the white top and the the four colours. Yeah,
1: but the yeah the the Parker Jotta is a is a very distinctive sort of recognisable model of pen.
0: Yeah. So uh, the verdict mm. is, so I got it home and I've been uh, using it for the past two weeks, mm. and I've been doing a lot of drawing, which has been great. Mm-hmm. Trying to get used to this barrel, basically mm-hmm. um, the the refill, the 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 um, uh, the ink itself, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually very,
1: very happy to say is better than Lamy. Mm.
0: Just the consistency. Yeah,
1: I'm not that surprised because they're, they're extremely good quality, the, the Parker ones. Yeah. And also they have the advantage that they're so common that I think even more than Lamy, it's very easy to find Parker refills because yeah. almost any stationery shop will stock them.
0: Not only that, but I didn't know this, but in, in the world of you know ballpoints, the, the Parker mm. refill size and mm. this format – has, oh,
1: it's like a standard. Yeah,
0: has become sort of yeah. like a de facto standard for high quality right. ballpoint pens, like Parker sized right. refill. Right. So you know, if I if I didn't like this Parker, uh, this original Parker ink cartridge, then I could. There's a lot mm. of other
1: options. You'd have alternatives, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, you know, consulting some of the um, the the hardcore pen enthusiast forums online, apparently mm. mo- most people say that they buy a Jotter and then throw away the cartridge and they get something better. Oh, do they really? So. Yeah. This is kind of the the the, the low end of mm. of how, uh, but even for the low end, it's it's outstanding. Mm. It's not that smooth, but then I don't really want it to be that smooth because I like to feel the texture. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the ball itself has some kind of funky, some kind of funky construction where it's not totally smooth, which allows it to pick up the ink. Flowing down to it much better as it turns around. Interesting, uh, and sort of conv- um, translated onto the paper much more mm. efficiently than uh, like a completely smooth ball. Mm. Um, I'm not actually sure about that, but there's there's
1: something that I read uh, about
0: the construction of them that makes them interesting like that. That sounds
1: like a, a deep rabbit hole of. Yeah. Of- Something that I had no idea was a thing that now I just stand to become absolutely fascinated by. <laughs> right. Yeah. But as a result, the, the
0: it transfers ink extremely consistently. Mm. The The sort of the startup of the ballpoint, which is quite important, you know, where you just go put it down and you start drawing. Uh-huh. Um, often cheaper ballpoints will – you have to sort of scribble somewhere to get them started. mm um, that's never happened with this. So every time I just click it on and go to write something, the ink mm. comes out immediately, mm. which is which is really impressive for a ballpoint. Right. And so far, I haven't had any um, sort of, often with the Lamy pens, as they get older, mm-hmm. you'll start to, as you're drawing, they'll start to sort of fade so that the, the, the lines that you're drawing, you can see less ink is actually making it down to the ball mm. and so that the line will sort of fade out as you're going further along. Now that, right it tends to happen you know 6 months or so into the the usage of a a Lamy pen mm-hmm. and i'm i've only gone 2 weeks so i'm not sure about that yet with this one right the most important thing uh with a ballpoint and mm. uh most people who've tried drawing with a ballpoint will will attest to this is that you get these blobs of ink that are left especially when you change direction of the ball right yeah, because yeah, yeah. what hap- yeah what happens if uh what happens is the 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 ink builds up on one side of the ball mm. as it's rolling in one direction. so when you mm-hmm. pull it back the other way, that sort of blob of ink that's left on the, the top the tip of the the um the housing where the ball is held will get mm. transferred to the paper and you get this big splotch. Mm. That hasn't actually happened once with this, which is amazing because that sometimes happens with Lamy pens, but this is just outstanding. Mm. So yeah, this the as far as uh, the the ink goes, I'm extremely, extremely happy the grip i'm getting used to it and i'm not going to i'm not going to mm.
1: lie it's not that comfortable interesting because i i mean i grew up with that pen lying around the house so i've used that pen quite a lot mm. and and i find it to be uh, maybe because i've got used to it but i actually find despite the the sort of pure barrelness of it it's very comfortable there's something about the the thinness and the the precise dimensions of it and the, the sort of texture and the quality of the material that i find it extremely sort of comfortable and, and nice to hold mm. i think what could be one thing is that this is the stainless steel version mm. uh,
0: whereas the the sort of more classic class the plastic versions mm. um, the 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 plastic obviously has some degree of gloss and sort of um, te- texture right, to a
1: little it A little bit more texture to it yeah. Exactly
0: Whereas this stainless steel version Is totally smooth mm. So that could be one thing I don't find it uncomfortable But it's definitely not A Lamy Safari You know I definitely mm. feel that My my fingers I'm having to Sort of close down On something That's much much thinner Which I'm not really used to Right But one positive um, uh, Sort of side effect of that Is that One problem that I've always had Is that I tend to Hold my ball points Too tightly mm and in this case because it's so thin uh, and because mm-hmm. it's quite smooth it's sort of helping to train me to hold it much more uh, loosely so right yeah anyway uh, to summarize very good very uh, very impressed and I was a little bit concerned when I when I bought it because of the the you know the the form factor and mm. how thin the thin the barrel is but uh,
1: so far so good mm. i mean it does you know it's a very different style of pen so there's probably uh, an extent to which it's just a case of of getting used to it, mm. uh, so it is good to give it as you are doing um, to give it a proper shake. And even though it feels a little bit strange and uncomfortable at first, you know, not to immediately judge it as being a worse design because of that. Because there is, you know, you, you have to actually get used, to, spend enough time with it to to get used to it before you can really judge whether it's better or worse for you. I yeah, think.
0: yeah. I mean, arguably, you, you you know, somebody could say that. Well, you know, I mean, if you have to get used to it, then how effective is that as you know a a superior design if it requires getting used to but you know i mean also i won't lie i mean you know me the the Mm -hmm. sort of legacy aspect of this pen is also appealing to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know just the the history of it and the significance of it in the design of you know the, the the ball pen and also the the um the places that this model of pen have been and the you know the important political documents that it has signed and things like <laughs> that. it's kind of it's kind of cool and i you know uh, that's maybe i'm um, very strange but hopefully uh station 13 listeners by now will probably uh probably be grinning and nodding their heads i Most hope that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah
1: yeah well congratulations yeah no you've, you've sort of made me intrigued although i've never been much of a ballpoint pen person mm. um I don't know. Recently, because I write so infrequently, mm. I am starting to to feel tempted by getting a, a ballpoint pen. Just because my fountain pens dry out because uh, I leave them for so long. Right. I have a pen at my desk at work, mm. which I jot down notes. You know, reason not that frequently, but you know, at least sometimes. Mm. And so that one stays inked and and is fine Mm. but the other the others i recently just cleaned them all out and and didn't put any new ink in them because it's not good for them to stay with ink just drying out and and never being used Mm. Uh, and i just don't have that much opportunity to use it but when i do want to use it i want to just sort of pick it up i want to dig something out of my bag Mm. and just use it then and there and you know if it's a fountain pen you know i can carry it around but because because it dries out if you don't use it frequently enough more often than not I pick it up in my bag and I try and write with it and I find that oh it's been too long the ink's dried out and now Mm. nothing's coming out yeah with a ballpoint pen I think that you know it would last a bit longer Mm. and I could
0: yeah for sure the the sort of convenience you know you can't be argued with. there's no cleaning there's no messing about you know it's Mm. just there you click it on and of course yeah you were you know that (laughs) that's it it feels you probably when you Go to try one. You'll click it, and you think, "Wow, that that feel, mm. you know, that the feeling of that is is just so good. You know, it just feels mm. so good. But it's just right there. It's immediate. You know, you just click it on. I mean, hence the name Jotta, I suppose. So right, no, it's right. not, not yeah. that expensive. You should get one. And there's a yeah,
1: no, I might I might have a look into
0: it. Yeah, there's a load of different options for colours, and I believe now. Actually, the coloured versions, um, the mm-hmm. barrel is actually not plastic. I think it's actually uh, sort of a powder-coated metal. Oh, okay. So Interesting. Yeah, you might want to um, – I think that the difference is that, the, for example, that image that you sent, mm. the sort of classic version, the very, very tip of it has a, a stainless steel part on the tip, right? Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So the current new versions of the, the, the coloured barrel um, jotters, they don't have that. It's just a colour all the way down. Oh, and okay. the reason for that is because it is not a mixture of plastic and then metal. It is actually all metal. Oh, and it's just been coloured. Yeah, so it's, it's just been sort well. of powder coated or something. Um so yeah, that that could be something that you could uh try it. I mean, I sp- I specifically wanted the all stainless steel version because I just think it looks so sort of um, you know, sort of retro sci-fi nineteen seventies <laughs> <laughs> sci-fi kind of uh uh what's the right way to do this? it's almost um uh kind of kind of um brutalist in a funny kind of way like a sort of a, mm. a german Bauhaus kind of extremely minimal kind of design which uh which yeah i think is just uh so impressive so yeah
1: there you go i don't know i think i'm tempted by the gray green just because it's such a a classic mm. i don't know if you can even buy that color anymore because that link i sent you was to an already finished ebay auction to the 60th anniversary edition Oh, so okay yeah i don't know if they currently sell it but that is just that because me personally you know that that's the pen that i associate it with that color is the the sort of classic look for me
0: right yeah i think the classic um, look for me was the black barrel right that, right. that was the uh, the one that my grandmother had um, that all was like They've a have got this
1: sort of dark red. Uh, I'm looking at the the site now, and they have this um, sort of crimson or, or burgundy or some shade of dark red uh, version, which is very handsome. Mm.
0: Yeah, and not that expensive, so uh, I think you should. I think you should do it.
1: Yeah, well, yes, maybe I'll. Maybe I will. <laughs> uh, speaking of buying things, yeah, I bought something. <laughs> let me guess is it a new watch it is not okay they're although have you seen the uh the iwc spitfires that were announced this year no that sounds uh tasty they're they're really nice they were announced in like january february but i still haven't seen any in the wild mm. like, I, every now and then i pop into the local watch shop and uh and have a look but they i don't think they're sort of generally available yet uh, but they've it's a whole series of flight watches speaking of new
0: watches uh did you see all of the buzz surrounding the Timex quartz
1: yeah yeah i did actually that's quite it's quite pretty mm. i'm not sure if i'm in the market for a, sort of a new quartz watch mm. but um but it's it's nice looking
0: yeah it is very nice looking the one thing that kind of bugs me is that the the bezel ring Has um, what the sort of the dual time zone bezel, Mm. um, which we actually uh, we were discussing via some messages a few weeks ago, where uh, Mm -hmm. the for dual time watches or multiple time watches or otherwise known as GMT watches, you know there are a Mm. number of different ways that these watches achieve that, and the classic Rolex one uh, has a twenty four hour ring, Mm. uh, and then a third hand um, which runs at half the speed of the hour hand, essentially. Right. So that it's tracking one whole day in one rotation. And then you use the bezel to set the time there so that you can you can see immediately at a glance, you know, if it's nighttime or daytime and what time it is. Right. Um, and another simpler, mechanically much, much simpler and therefore much more um, easy to produce alternative for GMT time or a secondary time zone mm-hmm. is to have a bezel that has 12 markers on it so it's like a secondary twelve-hour time, mm-hmm. and then basically that you just turn that around to be the second ha- the second time zone, and then effectively you know. that oh, and you use your existing hour hand. Yeah, exactly. So you just position right. position Stop that set yeah exactly where you want the uh, the second time zone. What time it should be and then mm. yeah i mean obviously it takes a little bit of cognitive processing to sort of look down instead of 12 o'clock being upwards it might be sort of mm. somewhere else around the ring but right you know right. when there are all numbers on there that's no issue right. the thing with the timex one is that they're trying to mash together two things there cuz there's a 12 hour ring which is great that's your second time mm-hmm. zone but then they're also mm. kind of doing the classic rolex gmt master 2 pepsi bezel mm. which has a, a blue half and a red half mm. It looks cool, but the whole point of the blue half and the red half is when it's viewed on a twenty-four hour bezel scale. Right. Then right, right, right. Obviously, the red half becomes six to what is it, eighteen? Six, six to six. Well, yeah, six to eighteen, I suppose. Yeah, which six a.m. six p.m. Exactly, which is daytime, yeah. and then yeah. eighteen all the way across to six on the is nighttime. So that's why the blue and the right. red. Whereas in this case... Right. So at a glance, you can see whether, roughly whether it's daytime or nighttime. Which is utterly brilliant, as we've talked about before. Because mm. uh, anyway, the, with this Timex one, though, it's a 12-hour bezel, but it also has this sort of... So essentially 3 until 9, mm. that's the dividing point, And above that is blue and below that is red, which kind of makes no sense. <laughs> like Right. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. If, yeah. For 12 hours, it makes no sense to have you know, 3 o'clock in the morning until... Nine o'clock in the morning be red for some reason <laughs> doesn't right, like right right it's just purely and for three
1: it. o'clock in the afternoon till nine o'clock in the afternoon as well yeah exactly so it doesn't, yeah, no. doesn't
0: really make any any sense so
1: but anyway. yeah no it's more of a, a purely decorative thing so anyway what did you buy Denny uh, so yeah. um, <laughs> uh, so we talked a, a little while actually a long time ago but it might even have been the last full episode because that was a long time ago mm. about antiquarian books mm. oh yeah that's right and i was looking at at one then the anchoridian uh, i didn't get that one in the end for a, a number of reasons but eventually i just decided against it mm. um it's a little bit expensive and it was not quite what i was looking for but i've still continued to sort of follow with interest what's going on on the ebay right uh, since then and there's a a lot of you know i'm learning more and more about it's like when an I first got into Watchers and you first meet, introduced me to that world and and the first couple of months were spent learning mm. all about, you know, what's available and, and what my own tastes are and what I'm actually looking for. Right. So this has been a similar process uh, and it's been very interesting. Uh, and anyway, I saw uh, a, an edition in three volumes of Seneca's Complete Works mm. and it's the... Uh, the 1672 Elsevier edition, which is Elsevier is a Dutch publisher. So, so you it was published in Amsterdam in gonna, 1672. You're going to have to just help me out with who the author was because, you know, I only know one author. <laughs> <laughs> right. So about 2000 or 1900 years before Tolkien, <laughs> right, there was, <laughs> there was a Roman philosopher called Seneca. Right. <laughs> Uh, Seneca the Younger who was born in Cordoba in Spain hmm. and which at that point was was a part of Rome and uh, grew to some prominence in in the Roman uh, Empire I think it was still the empire at that point hmm. maybe the republic and uh, you know was was quite a leading political figure uh, until eventually he he sort of fell out of favor I think he he lived from 4 BC until maybe around 65 AD or something like that. Mm. Um, and uh, during his time, he wrote a number of political works, but also a lot of moral and ethical works. Mm, I see. And it was one of his essays uh, called On the Shortness of Life, oh. which got me into this whole Latin thing mm. two years ago. I see. Uh, which was... I a set of random weird tangents but of all things it started on uh, john gruber's podcast john gruber's quite a famous apple commentator right and he has a podcast called the talk show okay which i listen to and on an episode about this time two years ago he happened to be talking in passing and I can't even remember what he was really talking about, but he mentioned this work by Seneca on the shortness of life and it sounded interesting. Mm. So, you know, I looked it up and I was interested, uh, but I really wanted a a bilingual copy that had the Latin on the one side and the English on the other side. Mm. Uh, And in my initial search, I couldn't find such a thing. I could only find fully translated English copies and one thing led to another and eventually i came to the conclusion that i just have to learn latin i see <laughs> <laughs> that is how badly how badly you you know you wanted to read that i just have to learn this language I, I I don't quite know every single step, logical step that, that led from one thing to the other. Right. But and then from Latin, I quickly went into Greek as well, and I ended up, you know, doing the Greek first, as you'll remember. Hmm. Uh, but then more recently, I've been giving more time to the Latin. I found Latin actually quite a lot easier than Greek, so I'm I see. concentrating on that. Um. Anyway, so it is, you know, it's it is this work that got me into the thing in the first place. So it's very relevant to my interests. Mm. And this particular edition, the, the Elsevier 1672 edition, must have been uh, a fairly widespread edition. I think it must have been published in in some numbers because I've seen it come up on eBay a few times mm. in in the sort of two months since I've kind of become interested in all this. Right. Uh so I've seen it come up, I've got a good idea of the sort of price that it usually goes for. Mm. Uh it's a three-volume set, so it's three books. Um and the first the first volume is his his works, the second volume is his letters, mm. and then the third volume is I think commentary mm. on on everything that's come before. And it's it's all in Latin, so the works are in the original Latin, but the, the footnotes And the commentary are also written in Latin by a medieval, well, I guess not medieval, but 17th century commentator. Mm. um, Which is convenient because, you know, it was published in the Netherlands. So if it wasn't written in Latin, it would have been written in Dutch. And I definitely can't read that. Mm. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, so uh, I I got it uh, for a pretty good price Mm. and cheaper for for this set of three books than that one book that I Mentioned before was, mm. um, and it's. It looks like the original binding. The bindings are a little bit uh, worn, and they're they're sort of split, uh, so that you have to treat the, the book quite carefully to mm. avoid sort of. It's still connected, but the just where the bind where the front cover meets the binding, it's sort of split, and it's kind of being held together by the paper that backs the binding. I see. Um, so it's not you know. I mean it's I'd say for a 350 year old book it's in pretty good condition yeah <laughs> uh, but it's it's not as new <laughs> right. right um and it's kind of cool it's got a note in the uh on the first like on the opening page uh recording the sale of the book uh or I think it's been sold many times over this uh, past 350 years but one of these sales was in the late uh 19th century i think it was 18 something 1880 or thereabouts Mm. and it was sold by the 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 provost provost of Eton college Mm. and for for three pounds 30 three pounds and three shillings Mm. uh, which i have no idea what that is in today's money right um, probably a fortune but i i i paid rather more than three pounds for it right but, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know they, and it's written in this beautiful lettering and in fountain pen because of course in the 18th century people people knew how to write mm. um you know and it's it's cool it's a nice little artifact it's, there's something very cool about turning these pages and uh and and thinking how many other people have turned them over the over the past three hundred and fifty years. Amazing. And one surprising thing about it is how it doesn't it doesn't feel that old. Mm. I was talking with someone at work, and it's it's quite amazing when you think about it. The like if you think about all the media that have been invented in the last hundred of hundred years, mm. like DVDs, CDs, cassette tapes, right, um, f- discs of various kinds. Mm none of them, I don't think, would last for 350 years. Nice. Like CDs, it's it was known at the point of design that the, the film that is printed on the back of the CD mm. where the laser etches the, the data into right. has a, a lifespan of about 30 years. Mm. So even if you never play the CD and you just have it beautifully, lovingly in storage, mm. after 30 years... There's a good chance that the film will just peel away like dust, right? Just fall off, and you won't be able to play the CD anymore. So, if if anybody's listening that is, you know, holding onto CDs in the hope that they'll be able to listen to them in decades to come, rip them to your computer now, yeah, (laughs) because it's not true, they're not built to last.
0: This is, um, actually, this is a, a timely topic because, um, some of my old Commodore Amiga floppy disks mm. that my brother has had in storage for the past, you know, 25 years or so. Mm. Uh, recently, uh, one of his friends had set up a, a three and a half inch floppy disk drive reader um, for mm. his, uh, his his PC. Uh, and so I asked, uh, asked my brother to take over, you know, sort of uh, the whole box of floppy disks that I used to use when I was commonly using the Amiga over to his place to uh, mm. to basically back them up. And um, luckily, luckily, all the data was intact. Oh. But it, 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 as you said, you know, it makes you sort of – it gives you pause to think that, you know, in this digital era, mm. so much of what we do is, is actually non-existent. Um, I mean, it exists in in some form or other on a server, on a hard drive somewhere in the world. Right,
1: right. But there, there's something ephemeral about it. Yeah, and
0: it's, it's kind of scary because, uh, especially working in the game industry, mm. if there was some kind of massive electromagnetic, you know, catastrophe and everything got wiped, mm. like what would the past 15 years of my life equate to kind
1: of nothing? Really. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, although, I, you know, paper has that problem with fire so yeah i mean true. catastrophes can destroy anything a- anything yeah and the, the i mean the saving grace of modern storage formats which kind of counteracts or counterbalances this uh ephemeralness mm. that they have to them uh, is that they are so cheap and easy to copy right so it's okay to be ephemeral so long as there is a chain of people making copies right. within the, the lifespan of, of these things and moving them to whatever the, the new format is. Whereas back in you know 350 years ago, they were using paper, which is a, very, a much longer-lasting medium mm-hmm. than, than CDs or, or floppy disks. Right, right. But to copy a, a, a work that is written on paper was a much more expensive and time-consuming process. Mm-hmm. And you go back even uh, 100 or so years earlier than that and before the printing press, and you had to copy it out by hand, which is even more laborious. Did
0: you, um, so, did you know that uh, Pixar, the, um, mm-hmm. the esteemed, amazing, wonderful uh, animated movie company, yeah. Pixar actually archives their movies on film? Oh, do they? Yeah. yeah. Um, they have, uh, because still, the, the resolution... That you can achieve with um, you know film stock mm. is still um, i'm not sure if it's superior anymore but it is still extremely extremely high high density as far as the amount of information mm. that you can store on there mm. uh, and um, the only challenge of course is is the reproduction of color because film uh, will often sort of um, impart onto the image its own properties being a, a sort of an right. organic like medium chemical yeah, yeah. yeah exactly but the f- film is a much more proven long-term archival format than digital which is it's sort of interesting, interesting to think of it like that because as you said it's like well just make a copy right but then you know if it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy sure these it's not going to degrade or anything but right. you're essentially sort of you're copying from one medium to another medium it's kind of like taking a piece of paper and copying the document onto another piece of paper onto another piece of paper but then is that really reliable when you consider that a fire could just burn all those pieces of paper
1: well i don't know about i i, I, I don't know if that's the argument i would make i mean digital copying as you say doesn't degrade so that's good mm. uh that that is one of the problems with with copies of copies uh, prior to digital, you know, with with analog forms of copying, Mm. is that they'll tend to be sort of degradation or or artifacts that that come as a result of the copying. That doesn't happen with digital media, so that's good. Mm. And things getting destroyed by fire or whatever could could happen with anything. Mm. So that's not what I would focus on. But you are reliant on this sort of unbroken chain of people to to copy stuff, right? And the Internet Archive is a good example of this. Mm. Like, we're very lucky that a couple of people made a decision a while back to to run the Internet Archive and to try and archive things, and are continuing to do so. It's becoming an, a more and more difficult task as the Internet becomes much bigger. Mm. But that it's you know, if they stop, it's it's gone. It's it, it doesn't take very long. Mm for for huge amounts of data to be lost because there's this constant uh cost of of keeping the copies going that you must pay yeah i don't know if you
0: saw uh, there was some interesting news doing the rounds a few weeks ago i think on various websites about the universal music group i think it was and the 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 vault fire that they that they had where um... Do you, did you? Mm. I'm not sure if it was Universal. It was one of a. It was a sort of a very, very.
1: Was this, was this the one where they burnt all Prince's work or something? Was there some story about that? No, one? no, it wasn't. It wasn't burning. It was <laughs> right. a. It was right. a
0: fire in the vaults of mm. some lot in Hollywood. I think it was mm. Universal. Um, that resulted mm. in a massive, massive amount of loss uh, f- mm. of some extremely significant and important uh, classic recordings. Mm. And this was actually—I mean, the news that you'll read if you look it up is all about how the the uh, how Universal covered it up mm-hmm. uh, and said that you know no music was lost in this incident, where actually massive mm-hmm. amounts of music was lost. In them. Mm-hmm. but you know, I suppose yeah, like for example, Pixar's decision to archive their movies on film. Mm-hmm. Yes, I guess you know, as you've said, really um, the it. I guess there's there's not that much more. I mean the what it takes to destroy a film archive is just something different than what it takes to destroy. Right, right, right. Um, and
1: it, it's, that's why it's good to have multiple forms of backup, right? Right, right. So if one of them falls, you have another. Actually, though, the, um,
0: uh, on this topic, the, the issue of you know, digital things actually being non-existent, like more or less non-existent in terms of something that's physical, mm-hmm. is, uh, came to mind today, actually, when uh, I purchased a domain name, Mm-hmm. And um, this is for related to my business, which is uh, some you know some new interesting developments that uh, I'll be announcing later down the line. Mm-hmm. But um, I purchased a domain name, and the domain name happens to consist of it's it's eight letters long, mm-hmm. and both of the words. It's a two-word domain name, and both of the words mm-hmm. in this eight-letter string are dictionary words. Right. So I went to to have a look at the prices of different options. And mm. nowadays of course you've got all of these new cool kind of uh like dot studio and dot games right, right. and dot design and yeah. top
1: le- top level domains they're called. Yeah. .digital. And mm. All
0: of these kinds of newfangled cool ones. Mm. Um but the uh, the dot com version of uh, mm. of the the name that we wanted was actually available. Mm. However, it cost one thousand three hundred US dollars. Mm. <laughs> So, yeah. so in the end, uh, after much thought, we actually bought it for one thousand three hundred mm. US dollars. But mm. that it's just uh, I, I had to I bought it and then I had to go lie down for a while.
1: <laughs> it's like <laughs> I mean it is yeah that actually I don't know it it is a lot of money mm. but for a business you know in 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 the context of a business it's a relatively minor yeah I mean of course for Uh, the 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 question is do you is that when you renew it do you have to pay that every no year, or is that's a one-time purchase and then you pay the normal renewal fee for like a dot-com which would be whatever it is yeah that's exactly right or something yeah that's exactly right so the the okay well that's good that's not so bad
0: yeah so I mean obviously I mean that's the reason that we decided to buy such an expensive domain Mm -hmm. uh, domain name Mm -hmm. in the end um, was because that you know in the long run it's not that expensive really, mm-hmm. and also when you consider the sort of the, I guess the um, the easy, intuitive, quick, immediate nature of just saying something something dot com, and right. where that something something is exactly your brand name, you know right, th- right, right that exactly that is yeah. uh, is extremely powerful. It's sort of priceless. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. to sort of own that is uh, something very important, but. You know, it was interesting because um, uh, not only was it so expensive, and normally when you think of domain names, at least when I think of do- domain names, yeah, you know, twelve dollars, thirteen dollars, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. something like what well, you think of the price that you, we pay for renewal, which is kind sort of you know between ten to twenty dollars, or even cheaper sometimes, like nine ninety nine or things like that, right, for certain right. domains. Um, and it's sort of come across this price, $1,300. Mm. And and one of my colleagues said that, well, you know, I mean, if, for example, uh, one other reason that I was kind of nervous about that is because just of the, the, the process that we're at with creating this brand, it's not totally mm. official yet, which is why I can't talk about it yet. Right, right. But because it's not totally official yet. Uh, spending that much money on something that may end up being useless mm. if for some other reason we can 't secure this as a as a trademark name mm-hmm. that 's mm-hmm. also not good either you know but it 's funny my my friend mentioned well it 's all right you know if, if it is already taken or we can 't get it as a as a brand name, then we just mm. sit on it for a few years and sell it for a profit <laughs> right right <laughs> and that it 's kind of like a for something like a domain name which is you know even more kind of intangible than like a video game that you create it, it's like even more like what is the domain name where well, is
1: it, it it sort of is but it's a it's a fundamentally limited resource mm. like li- limited in a sort of kind of artificial way because it's it's managed by a group right who, you know manages that that top level domain but i mean it's it's as real and also as not real as money mm. which is also sort of managed by some group depending <laughs> on the currency right and only has value because the people using it agree that it has value right right yeah and it's and the value that it has is sort of defined by what the market thinks it's worth and mm. and and Clearly, the market in this case is you, and right. you decided it was worth
0: it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, that so one thousand three hundred dollars for a domain name is actually, especially, I mean, as a business expense, yes, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as sort of shorter dictionary word dot com mm-hmm. uh, addresses, mm-hmm. it's actually on the cheaper side.
1: Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm not that surprised. I thought you were going to say like more than that.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's it's it's just amazing. I mean, you know, the I remember. Uh, yeah, I don't know. it's just like normally when you think about dem- buying a domain, is like, yeah, you know, it's a cheap thing, right? right? Uh, but to, to be confronted with that cost and think, whoa, that's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and then also the, the 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 thought that, well, you know, if we can't use it, we just sit on it for a few years and the price goes up. Yeah, and it's like that, that's yeah, it's just a, a strange, <laughs> strange, strange world that we live in. But as as you said, that you know, just the way that internet security and internet privacy has been sort of has has formed over over the mm-hmm. past two decades or so, you know, where the, the email address becomes like the 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 essential sacred key mm-hmm. and along with a password. And of course the email address will be tied to a domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like the domain, even if the website itself has limited usefulness or limited effectiveness from a business point of view, mm-hmm. the the domain and therefore, the email address is associated with that. And therefore, everything else that's tied in with accounts and stuff like that to those email addresses mm. becomes incredibly, incredibly vital.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and of course, it's, it's key.
0: It's also something that's very, 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 very cumbersome to change after the fact as well. Right. right. You know, if you decide, actually, we don't want that one. We want this one. Right. Was it the last
1: episode we were talking about me changing my Twitter username? Well, funny. I was just about to bring that up. Have you jumped on the Twitter have you have you snaffled up the Twitter account for this name as well? Yes, I have. So, uh, for this name, no, no. Oh. So this one was not available,
0: and uh, so we had. To... <laughs> have you offered them one thousand three hundred dollars? Yeah, <laughs> I have to actually. Uh, one thing I haven't gotten. I mean, this all happened today, so I haven't actually gotten to uh, check the like just the raw version of the the trade name, whether or not that's actually mm-hmm. a, a Sat account or whether it's actually an active one. Right. Are you looking now? Right. I am. Is it, is it? Are there tweets? They are private. Oh, okay, so I guess that yeah. means that there probably is something happening there.
1: There's you, yeah. I mean, I don't know. They're private, so I can't see the dates. But they've been registered since two thousand and ten, and in that time, they've made one thousand nine hundred one tweets. Okay, there is a process with Twitter by which you can claim names. For which you own the trademark. Oh, okay, uh, but it relies in part on, like, it's at the very least, it's a lot easier if that account is inactive. Mm. So, if this account, you know, they haven't logged in, in in X time, or they haven't made any posts, or something, you may actually find that you can claim the account once you have that trademark. Oh, okay,
0: all oh, right, interesting. Okay,
1: well, that's... And the domain name might even be enough. Like, if you're, if you can show that you're trading using that name. Mm-hmm
0: interesting yeah I think uh, do we ever finish up the the topic of me changing my my username I think we did
1: uh, we did you you okay. you changed it I think it might have been the last episode was the the second to last we talked about you thinking about doing it and then I think in the last episode you had gone through with it yes. I still have not I am still I still have my other one. now I was thinking of using the kid VD name right uh, and I'm I'm holding on to that account but I haven't switched over to it and I'm still not really sure mm. oh you have to do it I'm so happy I did Yours, I, I, I know it's a funny thing to say because it's all a bit ridiculous, right. but yours really suits you. <laughs> every time I see people Pro Tracker, ProTracker, right. I'm like, oh, that's Alex. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm, I always, I, yeah,
0: I smile every time I see it. I think, oh, I got it. Oh, yeah, I got it. Especially, I mean, it was so bizarre because, of course, as I to- mentioned last time, when like ProTracker and various numbers, they're all taken. mm so it must have been something that was active before that somebody gave given up at a, around the time that I Maybe, found it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I haven't received any weird like sort of at messages from anybody. So anyway, uh-huh. um, do you own any – you don't have to say what they are, but I'm curious. Do you own any sort of very short URLs that you bought a long time ago?
1: Um, like kidvidi.com or something like that? <laughs> uh, no, I have – I guess I must own about four mm. or so URLs. I trimmed it down because there's, there's a couple that I bought that I realized eventually I wasn't using and I sold. Right. They weren't that short, though. So I, I used to own indulgeyourcuriosity.com, mm. which is a – I can't remember exactly what I was thinking of doing with that. Right. But, um, Obviously, indulging your curiosity, I suppose. I, I was I I, I was either going to write a blog or I was going to write a thing about curiosity. I can't quite remember, but anyway, I got that. Never did anything with it, and I have my personal address, which is dpwrite.com. com. Hmm. I have the station thirteen domain, which is station thirteen dot fm. Dot hmm. fm domains are quite expensive. Oh really? Uh, not just to buy, but to renew as well. Oh okay. Um, so the renewal, you know, if it wasn't expensive to buy because no one was holding on to the domain mm. but the recurring cost is you know a lot more than a dot com would be mm. okay and i have uh my wife's yoga uh classes i have a domain name for that mm. that's at one of these fancy dot uh one of these fancy new tlds okay it's it's a dot yoga oh wow domain. wow that's great <laughs> fantastic <laughs> Um, so I've got that and I have one for my old band the one which had the Kid Bitty, uh album okay. uh, which is com. that okay. just redirects to Bandcamp oh, okay. but I think that's right. it I, I had a couple more which I got rid of there's one which our former employer mm. I think used to own but let go of mm. that I've tossed up buying f- since then okay. to hold on to he he was holding on to it for a while because we the two of us were planning on doing something with it. All right, and so and then that never went anywhere. He held on to it, but then you know eventually he was going through the same process I did of going through some of his. I mean, he has such a ridiculous number of domains, right? And <laughs> so he was going through sort of trimming them down a little bit, right? And um, and he asked me if if I was doing anything with it, and I wasn't. So I think he he decided not to renew it. Okay, I'd rather not say what that is because there's still a chance that either I or we decide to do the thing we were going to do with it was it and then I might buy it again was it dot com no it was not okay it was it was different okay is it is it like a <laughs> like is it potentially
0: valuable is it like a dictionary word
1: or something or short or it's a dictionary word it's short it it would mean a lot to the people who are interested in this thing okay i see mm-hmm. um so yeah it's a it, it's a cool one but i yeah i never never did the thing
0: so i uh, i have a six uh yes six character net domain that i've owned forever mm. uh, but it has a hyphen in it so potentially it's not really that valuable and it's also not a dictionary word um Mm-hmm. It's readable, but uh, the reason I'm not saying what it is is because I've forgotten what I've actually got up there. So, <laughs> so if I say it and people go check it, it could be potentially okay. quite embarrassing.
1: So that's why. I'm... If, it, if it's safe for work, we might put it in the show notes, but we might not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, there's, there's definitely nothing up there that could be potentially uh, incriminating, <laughs> other than just being ex- extremely embarrassing. Uh, if it was like mm-hmm. a, an ancient old website that I had up there, so I've forgotten what it actually is. But that's that's the shortest one that I own. Which is uh yeah six characters, but it has a hyphen, and i guess hyphen uh hyphened um hyphen are, yeah are, are uh, yeah. fairly you know fairly um, <laughs> uh, i don't know not popular yeah unpopular anyway, yeah. so now um after having purchased this extremely expensive dot uh, com address today mm. i have uh I have yeah this strange strange comforting sense of
1: reassurement. <laughs> It's mm. it's gonna be okay. Well, you don't have to do it again. No, that's Oh, right. I've just I was just looking through. Um, th- sorry, j- just on the domains thing. I just remembered another domain that I used to own, but I let go of, and I slightly regret this one. Mm. spacedrepetition.org. <laughs> I used I had for a long time. That's nice. I, I had a little website about spaced repetition on there, and I was thinking of making a you know an SRS flashcard program that I was going to mm. sort of put on there. Nice. Yeah, but that's quite yeah, that's a cool one. But I, again, I wasn't using it, so I let it go, and I think somebody else has got it now.
0: Yeah, we have um, my band project um, or my music project, Remote Transmission. Mm. Uh, so that also, transmission dot com. Mm. Um, that one I own as well. Mm. Um, and that those are two dictionary words, but you know, it's very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't very it certainly wasn't one thousand three hundred dollars when I had when I bought that. But uh, oh, and another one that I had a
1: very short one that I had actually. Uh, which is this is another web service that <laughs> I'm I'm digging through the sort of attic of web services I started and never published. Right. I was working on a thing called VCS.io. VCS.io. That's short. VCS, which is very short. Uh, probably doesn't mean much to you if you're not a programmer. But this is this was for back in the day before before Git took over the world as sort of the standard version control system that everyone uses. Oh, okay. And it was when, you know, some people preferred Git and some people preferred Mercurial and some people preferred SVN. Mm. And the idea behind VCS.io was that you could, it would be like a a translation layer between all these different version control systems. Mm. So if there was like a GitHub repo that you wanted to interact with, but you wanted to use Mercurial... Mm you could access it via vcs.io oh, I see. and it would sort of translate everything in between. And if you wanted to access it through subversion, you could do the same thing. Mm. So I, quite, I really like that domain name because it was vcs version control system. And then io seemed like a really yeah. relevant top-level domain because it's a sort of input-output translation layer for these things. So right. In the end, GitHub just supported everything and I didn't need to make it. <laughs> <Right.
0: but. laughs> uh, those, <laughs> the, those cursed GitHub people, you know. <laughs> meddling with your plans for oh, it was good. They saved me a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, well, that, there goes your plans for world domination, though. I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just um, uh, this whole market around domain names. At some point mm. in the past decade, sort of sprung up, and um, now we are purchasing, you know, or people are selling for these these things for premium on the order of you know one thousand three hundred dollars, which is actually cheap. Which is
1: actually on the cheaper end. I mean, it's an interesting thing because you know inevitably the the dot com top level domain especially mm. is going to get more and more full right. right and names once they're gone once somebody's using them they they're in use right 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 now that the the scope has expanded a little bit and you can you can have different top level domains mm. that's kind of eased the pressure a little bit but there's there's still something about dot com mm. as the, the the one to sort of hold on to unless you're you know even super big and then the idea of owning your own top level domain like a dot google or mm. did you see the, the controversy recently about amazon yes actually yeah they got permission to own and manage the dot amazon top level domain right uh, much to the consternation of the people of the Amazon, <laughs> which is in, an area in the world, right. <laughs> they thought that they ought to have managed, you know, which is a not unreasonable thing. It's it's sort of interesting because, I mean, there is something colonial about it, and we think of colonialism as traveling to other parts of the world and, and physically oppressing their peoples. Right, but <laughs> that, you know that that doesn't really happen so much anymore, but. You know, there's something about the way that the English speaking world, especially America, especially, and in general, the West, has more sort of influence on the direction of, of the internet mm. than many other parts of the world. And, it, you know, and it is a fundamentally limited resource in the same way. And I think there's something to the argument that the people of the Amazon just as the people of Germany have control of the dot .de ending, mm. you know, the people of the Amazon. I mean, I don't know. The, the other country codes tend to be shorter, like two letters, like DE or something. So right. I don't know if like A-Z or M-A-M-N or something. Like, I don't know if there's some, something else that would make sense. Mm. But, you know, I, I there's there's something about like when your brand is named after an actual physical part of the world that has actual people living in it right then you know who gets priority in that case
0: it's a bit disappointing really isn't it because you know the, the this is a company amazon is a company mm-hmm. and the reason that they want it is so that their consumers can recognize something something.amazon or that's an amazon right. website right. and mm. the reason for that is basically for amazon to have more business and to, yeah. you know to make
1: more money. Well to add insult to injury their original business is selling books <laughs> right. which are made from trees <laughs> which are being cut down from the Amazon. <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: And it's yeah it is it, it is kind of a a sad sign of the times that they could win sort of priority over this virtual space on the internet with these dot amazon domains over the actual original thing that they chose their name to to, and
1: to, to be based on. To, to yeah. be, to represent. I mean, it, it's it's interesting because I think there's, uh, uh, on the flip side, like there is a time when it wouldn't even have occurred to us that this is a sad or unfortunate thing, right? right? right. That, like not, not so long ago, you wouldn't have given a second thought about the people of the Amazon and, and it would just be taken for granted that right. this big brand would sort of muscle in. Yeah. And uh, now, now we're a bit more conscious about, and, and partly because of the internet. So we, we get to hear... Um, much more you know many more people's points of view Mm. uh directly speaking of the whole brand thing uh have you seen this kim kardashian kimono thing over the last couple of days no i haven't Uh, what's going on there so kim kim kardashian has released a new underwear brand right which is her prerogative right (laughs) (laughs) right but she's she's called it kimono oh Oh no! And she's she's <laughs> trademarked that name. Oh wow! So that in the US, you know, you you can't have a brand called Kimono, even if your brand is selling kimonos and not underwear, which are not kimonos.
0: <laughs> can can you do that? I guess you can. Well, she did, but I mean, that's kind of like
1: it's kind of like trademarking. I mean, it's kind of blown up in her face a bit because everyone's very angry about it. Yeah. But I don't know. There there are rules about trademarking. Common words, yeah. and, you know, g- general. Word. I don't know if kimono doesn't count because it's not an English word. I mean that, but it's not like I, I don't think America has an official language, so I don't know under what rule, you know, un- under what guideline this common rule, common words trademark rule. I mean, would only apply to English words
0: because I mean that has to be the reason that she could slip it through because really. You know, if you tried to trademark like jeans right. or you know t-shirt or like you know shoe or <laughs> something <laughs> right. like that, of course you're gonna it, you're not going to be able to do that. But if it was like kutsu, right, as in shoe shoe in Japanese, right, then you probably would could do it. You know, well, yeah, I'd imagine that you'd have less trouble. Yeah,
1: it's kind of surprising because it's such a well-known. I mean, it's not like the word kimono is not known to right. English speakers, right? right? right. It's not some obscure word. Yeah, I mean that's that's a,
0: a very good point actually because you know for example kutsu could potentially work quite mm. easily because the word for shoe in Japanese is not really well known whereas kimono definitely. Also,
1: I think if you if you really had a shoe brand here mm. and you called it kutsu. Or kutsu, or <laughs> no, it's katsu. <laughs> I'm trying to say kutsu in an American accent, right? Um, kutsu, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just say it in an stra- Australian accent and be done with it because then, then it's kutsu. If you had a, a shoe brand that was called kutsu, right here, I think a it's less well known, so I don't, it, you know, less likely people would notice, but b I don't think people, Japanese people, even. Would be as angry mm. because you're selling shoes, right? But if you, if you had <laughs> yeah. an underwear brand right. that was called Kutsu, right? Apart from just being odd, <laughs> <laughs> right. It would it would be taking away the name for somebody who actually wants to use it to sell shoes. Yeah. I think that's a, a sort of key part of the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's like if you had a car brand called Sushi, because mm. I think in this in this specific case, the the it shows kind of almost like a, a lack of under or an ignorance in a way in in what kimono actually means. But because like many, many other words like emoji and karate Mm -hmm. and judo Mm -hmm. and, you know, sushi and sashimi and, Mm -hmm. you know, kimono forms one of the many, many sort of, uh, sort of international international words from Japanese that have become Mm -hmm. part of the sort of international vernacular, especially in English. Mm -hmm. And there are Mm -hmm. lots of them uh, from Japanese, but, uh, as you said, yeah, it's an underwear brand, so how do you justify calling that
1: kimono when almost... It's funny because it's almost in the sort of uncanny valley of like, it's not actually kimono, it's nothing really to do with kimono, it's a completely different kind of clothes, mm. but it's it's still a kind of clothes. Like, right. if you released a car that was called kimono... Right. Again, I don't think it would be as problematic because it's clearly not. I don't know. Actually, I still think trademarking it is a little bit, whatever you do, I think trademarking it is a little bit off. Yeah, but, well, I think, um, you know, it's still clearly not trying to be
0: the item of clothing. Right? Yeah, that's um, actually what you just said there. I think bears a little uh, requires a little bit deeper explanation because kimono in Japanese, for those who don't know, mm-hmm. in in. It obviously represents, you know, that classic Japanese garment, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but kimono actually means something that you wear. Right. That's what the, the kanji means is ki is to wear and or clothes and mono is thing. Right. So something that you wear. Right. So it's kinda not wrong because you wear underwear.
1: <laughs> right. But
0: yeah, it's it's also it, it seems to be obviously or intentionally ignorant of the fact of what kimono is actually means in english when you say kimono <laughs> right uh, what it actually means in english which it means the same thing as it does in japanese which is that garment that uh, traditional japanese right. garment so yeah nice one kim
1: yeah i i i mean i don't know I, I there's there's the other big angle that people talk about is the the whole cultural appropriation uh, angle right the fact that you know she's she, kim kardashian has Clearly, no Japanese heritage at all, but she 's taking this extremely Japanese sort of culturally significant name mm. uh, and then trademarking it and keeping it for herself and not allowing anyone else to use I it i mean
0: that's a that 's a tough one though, because I mean if you look at Japan on the other side of the of the water mm. when you talk about cultural appropriation, you know i mean Japan is uh, somewhat guilty of many many cases of doing that with uh, with Western ideas and western sort of genres, especially, you know, music, of course. And, I mean, not to the point – Or I mean, I'm, I'm sure if we researched enough, we could find many examples where there have been trademarks made of Western cultural things in Japan. Mm. None come to mind immediately right now. But, yeah, you know, I think the if if you want to make a trademark of a Japanese – like if, if you're actually producing kimono and you want to make a trademark called kimono – Mm. And you're an American company, then yeah, you know I think that kind of makes sense, and it happens in in Japan as well, where you have, you know, items that are trademarked with an English word representing the English version of that, which is which is produced as and marketed as a some kind of commodity in Japan.
1: And I still don't know if you could have a trademarked, like a trademark on trousers. <laughs>
0: Probably <laughs> pants I mean you know that's that's just the ultimate trademark right there pants especially, <laughs> pants, TM. especially when uh, pants is used as an adjective right. right for our um English learning listeners, you know next time you are practicing your English with a native speaker, just call something pants you know it's like ah oh, yeah you know how's how's i don't think
1: for for our english learning listeners or our american listeners who i don't think they say that's pants oh really <laughs> i don't think that's a <laughs> thing people say here. okay well that's a... i may be wrong and our american listeners can correct me but i don't i don't know if it's a thing or even if people are aware of the phrase that's pants well let's uh... oh, look at that look at this. i think kim kardashian's name of her new clothing brand is a bit pants yeah like that's a that's a totally sensible thing to say in the UK and Australia but i'm not sure it flies here
0: yeah well let's uh let's start a thing listeners so uh, <laughs> I suggest that everybody go out today and use pants as an adjective in some form or other and see what happens <laughs> one thing that you mentioned uh, just earlier which um, I thought was uh, an interesting sign of the times is the way that the dot com dot mm. com itself has attained this kind of you know, um, prestige, prestige. Yeah, um, and mm. I mean, a part of it, of course, is due to I mean, the history of domain names, and obviously .dot com mm. being the uh, the earliest example of online branding mm. is something something com. But I'm just thinking of of uh, <laughs> one of my uh, close friends, his children. Right, his children are um, mm. what is it like five and eight or something like that and they were having a, a typical argument that a uh, two children of that age would have where they were saying mm. they they were saying what was it like uh you're horrible no you're horrible no you're horrible and then the five year old mm. says no you're horrible.com .com yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and it, i think it's um as i said being the earliest example of of online branding and then of course sp- uh, spawning that whole you Know uh, a descriptor of that era of business, the dot com boom, mm. and uh, the, the sort of this mystique around dot com. It's it's really strange, isn't it? Now, of course, as you said, with these uh, newfangled, cool, interesting what did you call them? The like dot studio and top, top level domains, right? Right, uh, these new sort of top level domains becoming more commonplace mm. and making much more sense, really. You know, I mean, if you if you called if if you called it like kimono dot underwear, mm. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense than kimono dot com, for example, mm. for an underwear brand. Mm. However, you know, with these new uh, more descriptive domain names coming to the forefront um, and becoming more commonplace, then you know, surely dot mm. com is going to become increasingly increasingly more valuable and more sought after,
1: right? Yeah, rather than the other way around. I mean, these these new fancy domains are also quite you know f- fetching. Uh, good prices depending on the domain. Mm. But there's still there's something it's so ingrained in the culture now this com thing. Mm. For example, you know, I mentioned that we have a dot yoga domain for, for my wife's classes that she runs. Yeah. I'm still thinking of buying the com equivalent mm. like da 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 yoga.com right. as well as da da dot yoga right. and owning both and having them redirect to each other because I think people will forget there's a dot yoga and without thinking they'll type yoga.com
0: yeah that's that's the other thing because we're in a bit of an awkward transition point right now aren't we Mm -hmm. where we have the ability to have all these like dot yoga and dot studio and dot digital and all these kinds of Mm -hmm. you know new names but you know when you were describing to somebody you know perhaps somebody who has a little bit less familiarity with with you know online things Mm -hmm. um uh, maybe somebody of a of a an upper generation or something you know it's much Mm -hmm. You know, they the idea of .dot com is just so immediate still in our generation mm. that you had to say, "Oh, it's .dot yoga." It's like, "What? What? .dot right. no, right. yoga?" So, okay, so something .dot yoga .dot com? No, 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 just .dot yoga. Right, right, right. You know, so right, I right. think obviously that's going to um, lessen right. as these new domains become more commonplace. But still, now you know, if you start a large brand. Then rather calling rather than calling yourself Kimono dot underwear, mm. you know you're going to want to call it Kimono dot com at this point, right? Uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the sort of landscape changes because dot coms, you know, as these dictionary word dot coms slowly disappear and get bought out, mm. as in bought out by people who are wanting to use them as opposed to bought out for parking them. Right. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how things change. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, enjoy your new thirteen hundred dollar domain name. Yes. I hope you got the most out of it.